Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Create one-on-ones your reps will thank you for and use Exvoyant to help your sales managers create unique plans for every rep on your team. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Lisa Magnuson, founder and CEO of Topline Sales. Lisa has walked in the shoes of sales leaders for companies of all sizes. She's been the VP of sales for large Fortune 50 organizations and has worked closely with smaller sales organizations around the world across a broad spectrum of industries. Lisa's an accomplished author with hundreds of published articles, and she's the author of three books on sales I'm excited to learn more about and discuss today. For the last 15 years, Lisa has worked with senior sales leaders worldwide and their teams to drive market-leading growth, particularly in the area of large account wins. She's been conducting interviews with senior sales leaders as part of the research for her most recent book. And Lisa is here today to share her unique understanding of the priorities and challenges that sales leaders face as we strive to create sales teams that have consistent and predictable growth. Lisa, I'm so excited to have you join our show today. Thank you for joining us and welcome. Thank you, Rob. Happy to be here. Now, you're a, you're a good friend of a common friend. We have Lisa Hyman as a common friend, and she hit me up not very long ago and said, you are missing the boat if we don't have Lisa join the show. So I'm excited to have you on. Can you start by introducing uh, your organization to all of our listeners around the world and, and what, you, what it is you guys do? Yes, yes. And I'll just say Alice Hyman is just a, a really good colleague of mine and, and so happy to have had that introduction. Um, my whole life is spent with sales leaders and their teams around winning large deals. And what is that? What, is, what do the sales VPs have to do to do that? What do the sales managers have to do, the directors? And how do they engage those account teams, like the account quarterback, in order to get that done? Um, so that is my, that's my practice, and I am all in. <laughs> well, I can't wait to talk about that. That will be fun to learn about what, what you have to do differently to win large deals, more than just be patient and work hard, right? There's got to be more yes. to it than yes. yeah. So but patient and work hard is, is important too. <laughs> for sure. But, but I want to dive into that a little bit. So that's okay. That's cool. So you guys help organizations build tactics, playbooks, strategies on winning large deals. That's super cool. Can you, can you, uh, to our listeners, just to give a little bit about your story? Uh, yeah. Did, did, did you find sales or did it find you and, and where did that lead you and how did that end up having you be the go-to resource for companies that want to get better at winning big deals? Yeah. Well, sales was sort of my second job um, okay. as I started my career, and uh, it was with Xerox Corporation. And nice. what a great company to get a, a an incredible foundation of training, basic sales, and sales leadership pretty early on. Um, I got onto the sales leadership track and, and ended up as, as, as a VP of sales here in the Pacific Northwest, you know, running the sales organization. So, 
most of that time with, with Xerox way back when, um, I was involved with big deals, you know, not all the time, but nice. a lot of the time, the national accounts program, you know, certainly as, as the district manager of sales. And that's, that's where my heart is. I, I love engaging with account teams and sales VPs and the leaders to, to win big deals. I, when I'm involved with those teams, I become one, you know, it's like I work for that company. I'm all in. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. So, so that, that's a good run. Um, you started there. How did you make the decision to move away from working for a big team to go doing your own thing? Though that's that's often a hard decision to make. It is a hard decision, and and Xerox wasn't my only uh, Fortune 50 company uh, sales VP experience. But somewhere along the line, um, I I kind of started sort of that consultant, you know, kind of approach, even within the companies that I worked for. I published my first book in 2002, did awesome. a lot of training in within the company that I worked for, and then people outside the company started engaging me, and it just sort of seemed like an, a natural path for me. Um, and I still do work with the companies that I used to work for, left on really good, uh, really good positive notes uh, with, with all of those companies. You know what? That's easy. That's such, that's easy to, I mean, it's easy to talk about, harder to do. That speaks really <laughs> loudly that you were able to do that. Um, all right. So I love it. So that's super cool. I, I love your background. I love that you've worked for the big organization and you're taking big, some of that big organization discipline and probably wrapped your own kind of stuff around it. And as you've specialized in this, it must have been pretty interesting to really see big deals showing up in a number of different industries, number of different geographies, you know, big deals that are chased by large established companies, big deals when you're chasing a smaller entrepreneurial company. Yes. Um, there's got to be different things. I, I, I want to talk about that. I think that that's a really cool conversation for our, our leaders. We have leaders around the world that are listening to you right now and saying, okay, uh, I'm interested because as they're making their go-to-market plans and what they're going to do for next year, uh, that's got to be something that they think about. So let's, let's dive into that. Um, what have you yeah. learned? Well, you know, there are, there certainly are differences between different industries, small companies, medium companies, big companies, but there also are so many similarities. So I spent 2018 interviewing 41 sales VPs in preparation for writing my, nice. my new book that, that's now out. Um, what's the name called, of it? Go ahead and yeah, it, share it. What yeah. It? It's called the top sales leader playbook, how to win five X deals repeatedly. So it's all about, it's a cool. sales leader playbook. It's for sales leadership teams, but it has that slant of winning big deals. And those 41 sales VPs were from all different industries, male, female, um, different size companies. I really had to work hard to get a really good, you know, diverse group. Some sold through channels, some sold direct, some sold a combination. And I learned a lot uh, doing those interviews, even though it's a job that I've been in years ago. It's, it's, those are the people that I work with all the time, you know, kind of in that live interview sort of format. I learned a ton about what was important to them and what was super challenging for them. Okay. So here you got my attention. So I have these five lenses that I look through when I'm doing deal coaching. So when, when we help uh, sales leaders put their, their op, their deal coaching structure together. I have five lenses and one of mine is I call it outliers. So I, I I've always said big deals are three times your average deal size. Yeah. What I call an outlier. And, yeah. um, and some people we actually say, Hey, if you get to two times, we'll call it that. 
I love the title of your book, 5X. <laughs> you say Jepson, 3X is fine. I'm talking about 5X. I just say to it. go big and go yeah, bold. <laughs> I love it. So 5X. So, okay, so you, you've been, you, you spent a year talking to a lot of great uh, sales leaders looking only at big, big deals. You know, if you were to say like the top kind of three things that you found as you were to look through those, and I know it's in your book and we'll for sure give people access to how they get a hold of this book, but let's get into what were some of the top three things you found led to 5X? Forget my 3X, your 5X. Okay? <laughs> we're going to blow past your 3X yeah, and man, go to 5X. Yeah, we're going past it. Yeah. Well, there were some definite things that came out of those interviews and, and, and really there were three kind of top things. Uh, right. So, um, you know, the first one was that there was, there's a huge gap. And as soon as I say this, you're going to, it's going to ring true with you. There's a huge gap between the experience and the expertise and the skill level of sales leaders. So the sales leadership team, not just the VP, but the sales managers, when it comes to big deals, then their sell, salespeople, then the sellers. There's a huge gap there. So that so was. Let's talk uh, about that gap. Yeah, what, what's yeah. that gap look like? I mean, so so number one, there's a big gap. But, okay. A big gap. So I want I want to push pause. Let's talk about this gap because yeah. I want we got a bunch of people, and I say this all the time. And starting, I start to have people tease me about what I'm about to say. <laughs> people that are on a treadmill or stuck in traffic or walking the dog or whatever. <laughs> And we just talked about the number one thing you found was the size of the gap. Now, yeah. that's interesting because this is the thing that strikes you as the biggest thing that showed up is this gap. So I want everyone to say, okay, I want them to think about the gap that might be in their own organization. So yeah. can you talk about what that gap looks like and what it means and what the implications are? Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure that those people walking their dogs and on treadmills and driving to their, their calls are going to agree with this because it, this was a pervasive finding. And, and, and what it really means, what, it, you know, the key thing is that sales leaders, if you think about it, if there's this huge gap, they can be the single point of failure as it relates to going after 5X accounts. Why? So because of that gap um, and the other finding that, that was so big. And, and that, so the other finding that I'm talking about is sales leaders have twice as many challenges as they do priorities. So obviously every sales leader out there has a priority around, you know, uh, revenue, profit, you know, retaining their best people, sourcing for great people, all those things. Those are all fell in the priorities. As a matter of fact, you know, all the priorities that I uncovered were, there are no surprises there. But what was surprising was how many challenges they deal with on a, on a daily basis, twice as many. Wow. So, so I want to get into that. That's super interesting, too. I mean, this is already getting twice as many challenges as priorities. Yes. Does this create scale problems for organizations then? It creates, well, okay, you put these three things together. So sales leaders have much, much more experience and expertise around big deals Makes sense, right? They've been, they've been in the trenches longer. They've done it. They probably got to those positions because they closed, knew how to close big deals. So that they've got all or most of the know-how. Big gap. Then that, I said that they can be the single point of failure. The reason why is because they are literally just bogged down with all those challenges with, with that, with that finding of having them, you know, twice as many challenges as they have priorities. Well, their priorities are important enough, 
but you, they are just swimming, mired down in these in these challenges, and that's why they can be the single point of failure. And to to really put that into practical terms, basically they they understand what needs to occur to create a culture in an organization that goes after big deals, but they literally are can't do it. They cannot do it. They can't commit to war rooms for 12 months. They can't commit to, you know, designating and enabling the account quarterback and coaching the account quarterback so that that person can gain the experience and get the wins. They want to, but they they just literally don't have the bandwidth to do it, and most of them. And so that's why they can be the single point of failure. And, and, and I'm just going to throw out that third finding because it, yeah. it, they all go in together. The third is that most sales leaders, you know, including probably most of your listeners, believe that if salespeople follow a playbook, they're going to get better results. You know, there's statistics on that. Usually it's 20% or better, for, you know. Because if you have a sales playbook that's based on best practices and your sellers, your salespeople follow that, they're going to get the results are going to be more predictable. They're going to be better. So sales leaders don't have leadership playbooks in most cases. Over 90% of the people that I talk to, and probably 41 is not a statistically significant number, but that was 41 live interviews. Yeah, but I buy that. I'm interrupting you, Lisa. I'm sorry. I I sometimes don't do a very good job letting people finish. I get so fired up. <laughs> Interrupt away. This is a big one. So you know Jim Dickey, I'm sure. And yeah. um and Jim is a really close friend and I love the work that he's done and he continues to do with his with his uh business partner Barry Trailer. And when I was talking about this very topic that you brought up, I love how you said they don't have a playbook of leadership. Amen. I, I like we're a sales church right now. I'm in the back with my hands up saying amen. Okay. And well, here's what he shared with me. He thinks less than 3% have a structured uh, leadership one-on-one coaching process. Yes. And, and so that would be pretty close with what your findings. Were. Very, very close. Yeah. And, and, but, but yet over 90% of them believe that it would be helpful. So, so, so they, they, they insist upon it for their salespeople they know it would be helpful for their management teams, but they don't have one. And so at the end of the day, that's the book I wrote. I wrote a sales leadership playbook for getting big deals because they were, aren't going to write that book. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> and it's literally the playbook is 16 plays. Cool. And every play has a sideline coach. I, I searched the world for 16 experts for each play. Alice Hyman is one of them, our mutual friend, Yep. as are um, just 16 great people uh, all across the world that, that lend their expertise to each play. But basically, that that's why I wrote the book, because they can take this playbook and they then would have a playbook where you have common terminology, a common approach in the key areas that are essential to create a, an organization and a culture around winning big deals. So we got about, we've got, we've got like 25 minutes still on this conversation and I'm excited to be strategic nice. on how we spend this. Now you've given us the three big findings and just to articulate them back. 
the gap between uh, expertise between leader and salesperson on big deals is massive. Okay. Massive. So that's going to create a scale problem. That's going to create a very unique coaching challenge that I want to get into uh, because I believe there's a difference between deal coaching and deal chasing. And I want to get your perspective on that. Uh, that leads to the next one. Leaders have twice as many challenges as they have priorities. And I definitely want to get your perspective on what you do about that. Uh, I have a saying around here at X point that we don't no pigeon management allowed. Pigeon management is you fly over it, you poop on it and you fly away. Okay? <laughs> and we, we don't get to do that. So if we're going to fly, if we're going to fly over this thing, we don't get to just poop on it and say that there's twice as many challenge priorities. I'm interested in what you're going to do about it. And then the last one, this playbook conversation, I think playbooks are extremely hot and I think they're largely misunderstood. So I really want to get your take on each of those things. Is that an okay thing for us to do for the hundred percent? Okay. So let's, yeah. let's start with the first one, the gap problem. And, and I, I first want to get your take on for this gap. What's a symptom that shows up that helps you realize you've got a gap problem. So, you know, if you've got a bunch of reps, you know, I, I don't know what your perspective is. I, I see that it's somewhere between eight to 12 reps is kind of the manage. If it's more than 10, I think it's hard to manage. If it's yeah. less than eight, then you probably need to be carrying a bag. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'm interested. What should you look for to know if gap is becoming a problem for you? So if you go straight to results, you know, when you're talking about big deals, you know, a gap looks like inconsistent results. You know, so you get one or two big deals every couple of years. You've got a couple banner accounts. Um, and for you, the big is 5X, right? 5X. You know, that's a general, you know, okay. I know we were joking about it before, but, you know, oh, it's, it. it's if, you know, if your average deal size is 100K, you know, big, huge deal is, is a half million or, yep. you know, just it can scale. So I okay. just kind of have used that over time. But, but uh, yeah, if you if you're not generating any consistency there, then you can see that gap. That's the result of a gap. Is the a other gap thing, can I ask a question on that again? I, yeah, I want to stay on this. I don't want to let go fast on this. I like to go over yeah, fewer we'll topics deep. and go a little bit deep. Yeah, I think yeah. if these were your big three, I want to give them at least a few minutes each. Um, so is is a symptom of that like uh, maybe? So when you say inconsistency on their wins, is it also they're too dependent on you? Do you find sometimes they're they're depending too much on the leader to help get those things done. Yeah. I mean that, so, so, you know, like kind of a process gap, you've got a results gap in the ones you close, but kind of a process gap is, you know, most of your sales leaders are going to agree that to win a deal, that's five X. That doesn't just happen. That happens over time. You know, it's going to take nine months to 18 months. It's, it's, it's going to take a team approach. You have to think about it strategically. So a big process gap is, Let's see your account strategy schedule. Oh, I see that you did account strategies in January, and then you did them again in November when you were panicked because you didn't have, you know, any big deals that happened during the year. You have one. So, you know, one of the one of the big gaps is that you don't have the consistent process 12 months in a row, you know, kind of the engine that churns out the big deals because that sales leader that, that the sales leader can commit to because we, the sales leader has to be part of those. And, you know, it's interesting. I start my book with a story, you know, kind of, and it's like, is this your story? And, and, and it's based on, you know, a real situation, kind of a combination of a couple of real situations, but you know, I was doing a assessment with, with the sales VP 
and his uh, his team of directors, you know, director and, and some managers. And we were going through kind of the four areas that need to all be kind of chugging away, you know, sales leadership, choosing a methodology, being able to execute over time, and, and having a big deal culture. You know, those are kind of the four parts of the book and the four things that need to be happening. And, you know, the whole team, it, it became overwhelming for them. Like, they, they felt like, we can't do all this. We can't do all these things. And, and so we kind of got to, it's like, okay, what is kind of one thing that we could do that's visible that we could commit to? And it was account strategy sessions. I call them hmm. war rooms. Um, um, Can you talk about what makes a good war room or account strategy session? Because this yeah. gets into a topic that I think is super important. I really think that there's not a clear understanding of the difference between deal coaching and deal chasing. Yeah. Because I think that most leaders are deal chasers and they, they try to call it coaching. And I'm not convinced that it is. Yeah. And there's, and, and the war rooms, you know, a good agenda for a war room, you've got, you've got that account quarterback or the account lead. Sometimes this is called the account executive or the national account manager or the global account manager, whatever it is, you know, that, that quarterback who has been sort of designated, not, it doesn't just happen, sort of designated and enabled. And the enabled part is the ongoing coaching. And you have that, but you've got the sales VP involved or the sales leadership involved in these war rooms. They are the most important meetings of the month, not just something that would be nice to do. And you have a structured agenda, you know, it's that, that shows consistency and accountability and momentum from war room to war room. So, you know, at the beginning of the war room agenda, you are talking about, you know, what you got agreed to, what were the action items coming out of the last one, the tactics, and what happened, and what did we learn? And then you've got some strategy work you're going to do. Maybe you're going to work on the relationship plan, or maybe you're going to do a SWOT, or maybe you're going to develop your win themes, you know, whatever is, is appropriate for where you are. And then, you know, you wrap it up with, okay, what do we agree to do? What do what what are those new, you know, tactics that are going to happen? And when do we want to meet next? And it becomes sort of this 12-month closed-loop process that is hopefully led by an account quarterback that has been enabled, meaning coached. And I find when you have these things working that, you know, you you win. You win more frequently because the account team gets it right. Let's, you know, practical example, you have to get to an executive to get this deal. The executive is going to have to be behind you, the executive sponsor. Well, that's hard. Yeah. You know, it's, that doesn't happen easily. Right. I, I've done that. I've been the person that needed to get that. You know, I help teams, you know, do it all the time with War Room Services. Actually, the topic of my last book, um, how, you know, um, for salespeople, but, 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 in an, in an account strategy session, the account team will figure it out. Hmm. They, you know, together, if you have a, a correctly facilitated discussion, they'll figure it out. The account team gets it right. So, right. so I want to push to yeah. pause again because I want to ask two specific questions and then we got to get to the next one because we are, I could do the whole show on just gap, the gap <laughs> one, right? And I want to get a little bit deep on each of these three. So let me ask you two things. So when I was running sales for a large publicly traded organization with a lot of reps, you know, about a thousand, 
one of the things I measured was when execs got involved on deals, particularly big deals, our win rates were significantly higher than when they were out, like significantly higher, like sometimes 30 to 40% higher. Yeah, okay. I agree. Uh, okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm self-correcting. I'm applying your lens on me now. Would that have meant that I had a skill gap and a process gap probably? Um, because you said there's two kinds of gaps. I wrote down skill gaps that the reps have, don't have the same skill. And then there's process gaps on knowing where to, not just what deals to attach to, but what do you do to make sure that you're using that time the right way? Is that a good indicator that if yeah. you- Okay, if if you as the sales leader of the huge sales organization, corporate sales organization, if you had that skill and you didn't have a process or a way to transfer that skill, yes, then you would be a perfect example of that skills gap that that you know how to get to that executive sponsor, mm-hmm. but you but the team doesn't. So the account team doesn't. So you if you are not helping them then you are the single point of failure to, go, to, to going after 5X deals. Perfect and, example. And if I'm understanding what you've learned and what you help people do, a process, solving the process gap first will help you then bridge the skills gap if you've built the process gap the right way. Exactly. So, you know, sometimes it's like there's a lot of things that need to happen, but sometimes teams can only have the bandwidth to take on kind of one thing. And, and, you know, that one thing when you're talking big deals in my mind is account strategy sessions, because if you commit to that, tons of other stuff happens. I love it. So (laughs) I want to wrap it up with one last thing. So I have this piece that I put together that a lot of people have liked and I've spoken on it. We did a podcast on it. The seven deadly sins of coaching is what I call it. (laughs) And one of them is you, you, we are a, a crutch, not a coach. And so I think with what you're talking about, you become the single point of failure if you're a crutch instead of a coach. Yes. So you said war rooms is, is war rooms done right? A really good way of making sure that you're a coach and not a crutch. Is there anything else you'd say on how yes. to make sure you're coaching, not crutching any other things you throw into there? Well, it, it, it's the war rooms, but you've got to be present in the war rooms. So, you know, I've worked with sales organization because one of my services is war room services. Awesome. Sales VPs bring me in and say, Lisa, we've got this big deal. Can you engage with our team? And in 15 years, I don't think there's been a month where I haven't been involved with war room services. I'm always doing some aspect of war room services for one of my clients. Awesome. And it is awesome. It's that's that's why I have such a passion for it. I love to be on these teams and to win, help them win. Um, but if the sales leader is half in, so they miss the meeting, they don't, or they come for part of it, or they are not present. They're on their phone during the, pre, you know, instead of being present in the meeting with with the account team, then they're not they're not coaching. It's 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 they're not doing. They're not enabling the team. They're not enabling the account quarterback, and they're not lending their skills and their expertise. And so. Yeah, it, you don't, you know, there, there is more to it than just having the sessions. You've got to have the sessions. They've got to have a great agenda and everybody's got to be all in. Okay. Well, that takes us to your second one then. You have twice as many challenges as priorities. That's got to be why you're not in some, all in, all in sometimes, right? Of course. Yeah. So that's another one. I I love your big three. I love them all (laughs) and and, and I relate to them all. And I, 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 
like now another one of my deadly sins is consistency, right? So, yeah. um, and, and so we're on, we're off, you know, you're hitting your number. So I'll leave you alone. Oh, you're missing yeah. number. Now I'm back in. I think that yeah. sends a whole, you probably have the same thing. If war rooms are only used when people are struggling, then it sends the wrong message about the war room probably. Yeah. Um, so it's a flavor you, of the month. Yeah. So how do you, what do you do about that? If you got twice as many challenges as priorities, how do you balance that? You know, I think that sales leaders, you know, the sales leaders that I've worked with and talked to, you know, what it kind of helps them just to to hear that statistic. It kind of puts a number on what they feel and what they live. So it's like, you know, I have never talked to a sales leader that doesn't agree with that. Yeah. You know that they have twice as many challenges, you know, as 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 they do priorities. So it's really a matter of Okay, you know, we already know your priorities, retaining your best people, getting revenue, meeting your forecast, you know, getting, getting, get, getting after your other numbers. So what's kind of one of the best ways to do that? Well, I think one of the best ways to do that is to create a big deal, a 5X deal sales organization. Because, and this is Jill Conrath wrote the, wrote the forward to my book and, and she did a classic job. I love Jill. One of my dear friends. Oh, she's, she wrote the forward to my, uh, my top seller book too. So she's written the forward to both my books, but you know, she said it perfectly. She said, when you're a big deal organization changes everything. You can, you know, all of a sudden you can make your forecast. All of a sudden you've got enough revenue. All of a sudden you've got banner accounts that you can talk about. One leads to another. You know, it just, it's a game changer. You know what? Let's sit on that. I love that concept. If you can be a big customer organization, it changes your organization. Changes everything. That is a big statement. I, I like that. I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about it. I agree with everything you just said. And so again, so if you've got twice as many challenges as priorities, if you're a sales leader, then you probably, as I look at, look at this, and it's not going to be anything new, but maybe it's like anything that's important. You got to reinforce it. Yeah. Boy, you can't just get through days and fight fires. You have to be really intentional about how time is spent is what, is the only thing I can think of. You got to rise above the fray. And, and so, you know, this, concept ties into my my final big finding about the playbook so you know what's a way to rise above you know the urgent and focus on the important to kind of tap into Stephen Covey's how do you do that Um, you do that by having a playbook just like sales leaders expect their salespeople to have put to live by the playbook you do that by capturing the best practices associated with leadership and like my playbook has the slant of having it be around big deals, but many of the concepts are just transferable. You know, they're, they're just kind of leadership in general, but, but you have a playbook. You, you, you go, okay, if this is going to be the priority, if this is going to help us rise above because it changes everything, right? then we all need to have the same terminology. We need to be singing out of the same hymn book. Yep. We need to, we need to be marching down that path. And you know what? They all agree with that. They agree with that. All right. So why don't we use those playbooks? Why don't we take the time to do that? Tell me, you know, tell our listeners, this is a sales leadership podcast. You got leaders around the world and, and a lot of great reps that aspire to be leaders. So they're probably sitting there saying, she's right. You know, and they're like saying, you know what? I just work hard. 
powered out all day. I show up in the morning. I think yeah. I have a plan. And then yeah. fires start happening. I get punched in the mouth a few times. <laughs> I get, you know, I, I made my list of my top 10 things to get done and seven of them were non-negotiable. And when I get to the end of the day, I still have five of those non-negotiables left to do. Yeah. Anything in your playbook? Is there any like top two or three plays you can share in the seven or eight minutes we got before we start to wrap this up? Yeah, well, here, so when I interviewed those 41 sales VPs in 2018, you know, I, I asked questions about, you know, hey, would you buy this book? If this book was about, you know, if I'm going to write, if I wrote this kind of book, would you buy it? And I also asked them, you know, how much would you pay, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Anyway, they said, yes, we would buy it. If we knew about it, we would buy it. Sounds like you're going to write a super valuable book. But they said, you know what we really would buy and what we really would want? is we want to develop our own customized playbook. We, we, you should offer templates so that we can not start from scratch because we don't know how to do that. If we do know how to do it, it's too hard, too time consuming. So you should offer templates to, to make it easy for us to build our own playbook. And so I'm like, okay, well, I hadn't been thinking along those lines. <laughs> I like it though. I did that. I, 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 I've never had anything for sale on my website before, you know, other than, you know, click throughs to Amazon. They yep. can buy the template on my website now. And, and, you know, I would never, ever have done all the work <laughs> to make, to do that, you know, to make that available if they hadn't said that. And so okay. to answer your question, they don't do it because it's too hard to start. And, you know, so not only did I try to write just a super valuable book that they can use, but if they want to, I have templates that they can build their own book. All right. So I love that. And we'll make sure we point them to those and we'll make sure we get your book on our, our library of books for great sales leaders. Oh, thank you. Um, we'll make sure that all happens. I'm interested. Playbooks are a really hot topic right now. And there's a lot of schools of thought. And I think there's a lot of points of view. Um, I have a lot of sales leaders that ask me to evaluate playbooks. And, you know, I, I found that sometimes they're way bigger than they need to be. Yeah. Can you share any thoughts for our listeners? What makes for a good playbook? Well, I can, I can tell you what they told me they wanted. Cause I literally awesome. wrote the book that they said that they wanted. Okay. Um, and it was different than the book I was going to write. I really listened to those interviews. And so I boiled it down. There's four parts, sales leadership, sales methodology, sales execution, and sales culture. Four parts, 16 plays. Each play has a paragraph, you know, about the play. Then it has bullet points. How do you deploy the play? Then it has what happens with the plays not working. So what are the yellow flags? What are the red flags? I wasn't, that came from one of my interviews. I didn't, cool. that wasn't, I thought it was ingenious. What happens when it's not working? And, and what do you do? What are Can the red flags? So you're looking for yeah. symptoms. So you're looking at that, like if something's sick or it's not performing and, and it may be something like you're, I mean, I'm just trying to make sure I understand so it's not theoretical. I, I love being tactical with yeah, our listeners. Yeah, yeah. Like it could be something like the days and stage are taking significantly longer than it's supposed to. And so that's totally okay. 
They yeah. all have different, depending on the play, it has different yellow flags. But, yeah, yellow flags, you know, are exactly that. They're very, you know, here's what's happening. You know, it could be turnover. It could be, you know, customers are complaining about something or the account team is complaining. Or, you know, it's just what are those yellow and red flags? And then what are the remedies? And then every single play has what I call models, so examples that they, you know, it's like here's what a expectation letter looks like. Here's what a job description looks like for a, a 5X seller. Here's what a war room agenda. You asked about a war room agenda in the book. And then each play has an expert. I call him the sideline coach. I dig it. So, and that's, so the, so they literally, I suggest that they read the whole thing, but once they read it, it's a reference book. And I like the idea easy. of having the yellow flags along the way. It's one of my things that I'm a big believer in that, like, I like to help people have an idea of when a deal's not behaving normally. Yeah. So deal's different and big ones. I think one of the big mistakes we make, and I'm really interested in your, your point of view because I've done a lot of big deals, but I certainly haven't written, built a business on just helping win big deals. And, and I think you're uniquely perspective, you know, your perspective is very unique in this, per, this way. Um, I think one of the mistakes we make is we say, oh, it's a big deal, and we just assume it's going to take longer. Or, oh, it's a big deal, and so we're a lot more patient for things to happen. And I think we cause problems because we just assume that big means we've got to be more patient. Uh, anything that you might talk about that? Well, in, in the section on, on methodology, that section includes 11 advances, and, and those are deal advances, so those are, 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 you know, when you think you have a big deal, like right at the beginning, it's like, oh, I've got the, I think I've got this big deal. You know, how do you evaluate that? There's like a scorecard. It's, it's, you know, that, that example is in there. You know, you, so let's, 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 let's develop some criteria. Let's score that deal to really even figure out if it makes sense to pull on an account team together and just spend that time. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and the scorecard is way more than just the revenue value. So, you know, once you kind of score it, then, and there's 11 things in that advances section that help a sales leader help the account team to know what to do. Does that answer your question? It's a really good answer, yeah. <clears throat> I, I just think that, you know, there's two, th two times that I've seen big deals and, and, and big deal teams are often just enterprise sales teams, the enterprise yeah. team, right? Yeah. I find that leaders get this tough problem, you know, because I, again, I said, I think most of the time we're deal chasers and not deal coaches. And so we often don't have a construct on what should we do differently. A construct. Yeah. And how do we create customer engagement, not just sales engagement? How do we get verifiers from customers that things are actually behaving the way they should? Yeah. I, I think we get really patient really fast. And I think we, I think we lose unnecessary time particularly early in cycles, and then also late. I think at the end, we just fall into it. It's still illegal. Oh, it's still illegal. It's still illegal. <laughs> right. And, and I'll be interested in your thought there. But the other thing, though, is big deal people, the people that you hire for large deals, how do you know if someone's doing good and if someone's not doing good? I, I found the sales leader say, well, I mean, it's an enterprise salesperson, so we're not going to know for at least a year if they're doing good or not. And that seems scary to me. That's a big bet that you make. It's a big you know, game of, uh, it's a big bluff in a poker game. You know, I think sometimes we wait two and three times too long before we make changes on people. 
Yeah. Well, I have, there's two, two things that I, that are included, you know, in the book to help. One is, you know, there's some sales leader coaching questions, um, to, to ask, uh, for every stage of the big deal. So, you know, a lot of the sales managers have basic coaching questions they use for, for the deal stages, but these are unique to big deals. Okay. So that's one way. Ask, you know, Could you ask, share one. Would you mind sharing just one of them? Yeah. You know, at the early stage, you have an executive sponsor. And, and, and how are you going to engage them throughout the deal? You know, so, so that's, you know, you're not going to ask that coaching question for a regular deal because you probably don't need an executive sponsor, but there are some unique questions. Then the other thing is, you know, I recommend kind of a quarterly big deal review. Mm, and I, I, like I, it's, it's, it's one of the plays and it's and there's an agenda for it in the book and and it's it's not just they're looking at the deals but they're also looking at the whole pipeline so this is a review that the sales leader the sales vp is going to have this review and it's going to include their his or her leadership teams maybe the account quarterbacks and they're going to look at the deals but they're also going to look at all the deals in the pipeline they're going to look at programs they've put in place around big deals like executive to executive connection programs are those programs in place? Are they working? How many executive connect? You know, so there's metrics both, both, it, you know, uh, um, leading and lagging indicators. And I spell out what those, what those, what those are um, that can be looked at during these quarterly reviews. So you don't, like you said, get to the end of the year and it's like, oh shoot, we, you know, we, we fell short or this person didn't do the things that we thought they should be doing and we didn't see it. You know, you have to yeah. have things to get way in front of that. I think that's super important. I think that's something that a, a lot of sales leaders, particularly if you're figuring the sales leadership world out. still, I think that's yeah. maybe one of the most common cha uh, challenges that I see is we're just too patient too long. Yeah, um, because we say, oh, it's enterprise. It's going to be long. And I have one last question I want to ask you. And this wasn't one that I, I had thought we would talk about. But uh -oh, now I'm, I'm scared to. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is completely unprepared. So I apologize for doing this to you. But and maybe it's self-serving because the next point we do a lot of big deals. We work with we work with big companies. We work with mid-market companies, sometimes small companies. But for us, now I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot. Mostly are the people that really do the best of what we do are large, geographically dispersed sales teams uh, with lots of reps all scattered around the world that we help them do sales coaching. And the more nice. bigger you are and the more spread out you are, the harder it is to have a leadership process, right? Yes. And we sometimes, I'm thinking of one really big, giant deal for us. It got stuck in legal for about six and a half months before it popped out. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm guilty. I was a guy who was like, yeah, it just is what it is, man, as long as we're staying on. Any tips on how to handle internal processes when you're chasing big big deals? So did it pop out as a win or a loss? We got the win. We got, we got the, the win. win. Yeah, Congratulations. Win. Thank you. <laughs> did you celebrate that win? Uh, it, it, we are in the process. We're getting the final thing done. It was, came out illegal and everything, and now we're getting the final signature right now as I talk to you. So okay, so one we, of my play, yes, celebrating those wins. Uh, the other play that that's in there is is doing win loss retrospectives with your customer. And okay. I actually have an interview format in the book that you can customize, follow, you know, awesome. whatever makes sense for you. But but one of the things that you can do, you can go back after a win or a loss is go back and find out why. Like, why did it get stuck in legal for six months? And what could you have done yeah. differently 
and customers will tell you, I've done these, I've done these interviews for my customers. I've done them when I was just, you know, doing, doing deals for, you know, as a sales leader and uh, companies, you know, I've almost never had a customer refused a win loss retrospective. It's, okay. it's because you position it. It's like, we're constantly trying to get better. You know, can we just, you know, have a 30, 45 minute conversation with you about, you know, kind of what transpired and how we can do a better job. And right. if it's a win, it's it's such a nice kind of level setting conversation into that customer relationship and how you're going to manage that customer going forward. And if it's a loss, people like companies that want to learn from it. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in win loss reviews. I like that. So yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I just find that you know, getting in big deals, getting the buyer to say yes, is often the easiest part of it. <laughs> So true. <laughs> then, then, then procurement yes. and financial and finance yes. and all those people, those, yes. those, those deal preventers show yes. up. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, why are, why do they have to exist? <laughs> that, that might be another show for us to have is getting through these other parts. Cause getting the buyer to say yes, I feel like is the easiest part. It's getting the other people who really don't care if you get that problem solved or not, because they don't live with the problem. Their job yeah. is to protect the company from, you know, vendors that they don't know anything about. And so anyway, yeah. Anyway, yeah. That, that, that's good. Listen, we're, we're out of time. This has been awesome. It went fast. Thank this you. was a really interesting conversation. I want to finish with you the way I finished with every one of our, our people that joined the show, kind of a rapid fire, three questions really fast. Yep. First one's going to be really interesting. It's what is the largest, the, the most common sales leadership challenge you see and how do they overcome it? And we've kind of touched on that, but I'm interested to have you put it in your own words. Yeah. I'm going to say retaining their best people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why is that? It, and then how do you beat it? Those top leadership challenges that, that we uncovered, you know, they, a lot, most of them had to do with people. And, and I'm going to give you my answer from the big deal world. You help them to be successful and close big deals, and you're going to retain those, those top people. You are. It's, it's part of that big deal organization, culture. People want to be there. They want to be on the winning team. So that's, that's my answer. That's a great answer. I love it. So keeping people and the best way to do it is be a resource that helps them win big deals. Yeah. And has that double digit increase in win rate because they're working with you. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Number two, uh, this is, this is probably our, our, our listeners most favorite. This is, they ask this one all the time. Is there a go-to interview question or a go-to interview concept when you're helping them hire new members of the team? Yeah, if you're looking for big deal sellers, a great interview question is, tell me about your last big deal and how did you identify it, how did you develop it, and how did you close it? And by asking that in kind of an open-ended way, that you'll learn a lot about, about that person that you're interviewing. So I love the question. I love the structure. What's the thing you're looking for? Is there something you're specifically looking for in the answer? You're looking for consistency. You're looking for how comprehensive was it? You're looking, are, were they a team player or were they a lone wolf? Were mm. they, were, did they get lucky or are they good? There's, there's lots of things you're looking for in that question. Love it. And the last one, 
Uh, we're gonna put your book in there. We're gonna we're gonna add you for sure because it sounds like you're like I, I can't wait to get to get my hands on your book myself, and um, and I'm gonna make sure that we make it really easy for all of our listeners to find it as well. Thank you. We found though that leaders are readers, and I don't care if it's pages that you turn or audibles that you listen to, or or even yeah. today on a more micro level, is that podcasts or blogs that you're consuming. What would you recommend to people that are listening to the show? Because you work with leaders around the world. Is there something you'd say, this is a good add to your leadership library of, of content? Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, I'm a big fan of Jill Conrath, Barbara Weaver-Smith, the whale hunters, love yeah. all of her stuff. She's one of my sideline coaches. But for right now, I'm going to recommend James Muir and the Perfect Clothes Workbook. Oh, awesome. I love his Perfect Clothes Workbook. I, it just has so much stuff that I agree with, um, and, and I think it's awesome. That's a new one. We'll be excited to get that up on our, our library on our website. Thank you. You're welcome. Any final thoughts as you wrap up what we've talked about today? This has been a really good, it's been a compelling uh, conversation. We haven't had a conversation like this on our show. I'm really grateful that you could come in and talk about large deals. Um, any final thoughts as you are to kind of wrap it up for our listeners? No, I just, you know, I mean, the final thought is, is, is maybe a, one of my favorite quotes. I usually, you'll find this everywhere. It's in my book, but, but it's from the common denominators of success. And it, it, it's the secret of success of every man I added or woman <laughs> who has ever been successful lies in the fact that he or she has formed the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. And when you're talking big deals, that's, you have to commit, you have to do, you have to make it, these things a habit. War rooms have to be a habit and all the other things. And so that's my final thought. You can, there, there's some ways to make it easy, but you really have to understand that of those priorities and of those challenges, this is going to be the thing that's going to be the game changer. That's awesome. Lisa, <laughs> you're going to have a lot of people I, I, I'm sure that are going to want to continue this conversation. How do people learn more about you? How do they connect with you? How do they take the conversation offline with you? How, how do they get more? Yeah, thank you so much for that. So probably my website is like the single best source, www.toplinesales.com. They can, uh, there's some free tools they can download there if they're interested in, in, in any of my books, including the, the top sales leader playbook. There's a book page on that. Um, they can click through to Amazon. There's actually some exclusive offers that they can even get some, some, some 5X deal organizational assessments if they buy the book. Um, so just the website, my contact information is there. So www.toplinesales.com. Beautiful. Listen, this was a killer conversation. I want to thank you for joining us on behalf of our listeners around the world. Uh, and, and, and we're going to wrap this one up. This has been a great use of time. I, I, I'm excited to share this one. She is not here to make it easy. She is here to make it a habit. It is Lisa Magnuson from Top Line Sales. Get her books. Check out her content. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us, and happy selling. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate it. Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And I'm super grateful to my good friend Alice Hyman, who is a great sales leader in her own right, for recommending that I get Lisa on our show. Um, I, I didn't really have a lot of contacts with Lisa, but as I got ready for this interview and I got to know her a little bit, it was really, really cool to see why she was such a good fit. And I, I, I'm confident you had a great experience listening to Lisa talk about, particularly going after larger deals. 
Uh, they have their own tempo. They have their own pace. They have their own series of things that we need to do. And I, I liked that. But I really thought that there was a couple of things that stood out as you look at that interview. First, I, I love the, the idea that, that leaders have double the number of challenges as they do priorities. And those challenges, they get in the way of your priorities all the time. And, you know, whenever I work with a sales org, we talk about role. We start with role. I was, I was on site with a, a sales leadership team this last week, and we burned up half a day on, on role and, and what that really meant, uh, particularly for leaders. I think it's something that most of the time sales leaders don't spend enough emphasis on. If you follow this podcast much at all, you know I believe there's four levers that you can pull that will lead to greater performance. It's the aptitude of the people you hire. It's their level of motivation. It's the skills they possess. And then it's what they think their role is. And people are often surprised when I tell them that role will give you the biggest, the fastest improvement in, in performance. Uh, you need all four to have sustained performance. But what will give you the, the most immediate bump is role because it drives what you think a high and low value activity is, which then drives how you spend your time, which then drives the tools that you choose to use. And that takes me to the next one. We don't have, unfortunately for leaders, really good enough tools. She talks about playbooks for leaders. I'm going to extend that and say tool kits for leaders in general. And as a sales leader that's getting ready for 2020 to kick in, I would suggest that you use this holiday time with maybe a little downtime if you're like most of us, we often are introspective and we, we talk about what are we going to do differently so we can do better or do more next year. And, and I would say equipping um, yourself as a leader. What does awesome look like? Um, what's my role? How do I make sure I have more high-value activities than low-value activities? How, how do I do those things? And if we can find ways to do that, I think that what you'll find is the managers that work with you will be appreciative of the help because too often they're just told to hit a number. And so we gravitate to what we're great at, and that's, hey, we were a closer individually. I guess I'll help you close. Uh, I would argue that our job as leaders, our role is to create leaders. It's to create skills. I have fun with it. I say if the job of a salesperson is to produce, the job of a sales leader is to reproduce. And I like to joke, and I'll say, hey, I don't mean reproduce that way, but what I want you to reproduce with your team is skills and understanding so they can therefore produce. And the better you are at reproducing, the better your team will be at producing. So I would challenge you to go back and listen to Lisa and, and, and let's create playbooks for leaders. Let's make sure that we know how often we should be doing one-on-ones. Let's make sure we know what that one-on-one -on -one done right looks like. And let's make sure that we're not just having check-in moments with people. Because just like customers don't like salespeople to check in on them, Reps don't need their manager to check in on them. But what they need is for us to help them become better. Um, anyway, uh, the, the last thing that, that I really thought jumped out at me with this was the importance to be present. Uh, I, I've been talking to a lot of sales leaders, and, and one of the things that I'm hearing more and more is that managers often are the most disconnected. You know, maybe you're rolling out some new training, and while the reps are getting trained, the, the managers are, are in the back of the room checking email. And, uh, and she talks about managers become the single point of failure most often. And I, I initially thought it was because it was hard to scale 
their help on all deals. But I also think maybe more important, it's the lack of connection to what's really going on and what their role is. So I hope that that was helpful. I, I really appreciated Lisa's energy. I love her passion for what she does. Uh, I feel that same passion that we have a responsibility as leaders to help every member of our team do better and perform better because they worked with us than after we'd left them on their own. And as I challenge you to make this holiday time the very best it could possibly be, that's going to include shutting things down. That's going to be enjoying your family, enjoying your friends, uh, finding opportunities to do for those around you and not just do for yourself. All of those things uh, are, are what that's about. And what I would also say, though, is take some moments for yourself. Take some moments to say, what am I going to do differently? How am I going to be more consistent? And most important for me in my role, how am I going to help every member of my team get X percent better than if I just left them on their own? With that, I want to thank Lisa. Thanks for joining us. I want to thank you. It's been a terrific year. Um, we'll have one more episode this year. We're going to go back to one of our greatest hits. I can't wait to reshare that one with you. For each of you, thank you for listening to the show. Uh, please, please continue to reach out to us. We love hearing from you. Uh, we love your recommendations of guests. Uh, we love your recommendations of questions to ask. Uh, and, and we love your, your five-star ratings on iTunes. Thank you so much. Keep it all coming. I'm looking forward to a great year with you next year. We have a great lineup of guests that we've already recorded amazing interviews with. So to each of you, happy holidays, happy selling, and make the world a better place. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.